This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Lord God, we all have the hope of transformation, of being changed and of being set free when we encounter you, Lord. Of being present in what we just sang, those holy moments, that this is truly a holy moment. Throughout time, you've been revealing yourself to us, and in knowing you, we find our true selves, and we find the truth of those we love. We see and hear the potential goodness in this world because of your presence in it, and we long for that goodness. To look it in the face unveiled, and to see full reality and full beauty. Make yourself known here this morning. Continue to reveal yourself to us through the preaching of your word and through our vulnerability and willingness to be seen and known to you and each other. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, excuse my sniffling. I thought it was allergies, and maybe it's allergies, maybe it's a little bit more, but you'll have to excuse my sniffling. Last week, Pastor Tim opened Lent in our church-wide study of this book by preaching on Matthew 4 and Jesus' temptation in the desert. He said that in the desert, Jesus embraces our humanity, and by doing so, he confronts three temptations. He confronts the temptation of the misuse of everyday power, the misuse of religious power, and the misuse of political power. And in doing so, Jesus overcomes these temptations because he's rooted in his own identity as the Son of God. He refuses to succumb to the tempter's if. If you are the Son of God, then prove yourself in these ways. But Jesus doesn't succumb to that if. He rests in his own identity. He knows who he is. So we know from last week that Jesus knows who he is. But this week, the question is whether the disciples know who Jesus is, and ultimately how this matters for us as disciples today. The scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, But since they'd stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he'd said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud, a voice came and said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one of the things that they had seen. 
This is the word of God for all of creation. Thanks be to God. The other day I woke up and I had the strangest feeling. I had to tell someone, so naturally the first person that I told was my husband because he already knows how strange I am. (laughs) I had the craziest dream, I told him. I dreamt that we were at my mom's house and my sister was there, but it didn't really look like my sister, but I knew it was my sister. And you walked in the house, but you were already in the house, and then all of a sudden the lights went out. And then when the lights came back on, nobody was there except I was by myself in a field. And basically, I think this means that I need to go see my family. (laughs) And I imagine we've all had this kind of experience before. We wake up and we try to explain the really strange dream that we had. And we all sound a little bit illogical. How do we explain the images and feelings that we alone have personally experienced in those moments that can seem like hours. I heard once that a dream lasts of only to five minutes, but they can seem like they're really long experiences. And how do we explain that it did reveal something very real and concrete to us, but as surreal as the experience sounds and feels? The scripture today reflects that dreamlike feeling in that it warps space and time And it asks much of our imagination. And like dreams, it has a lot to teach us about the concrete and our reality today. But it might warp what we call reality. Parts of these verses in Luke that we call the transfiguration seem like a dream. The disciples were weighed down with sleep. But they still somehow know that the men walking around them were Moses and Elijah Was Moses walking around holding the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them? Or did Elijah have a name tag on, or was he still being fed by ravens? How did they know that they were Moses and Elijah? Was it like me knowing that my sister was my sister, even though she didn't look like my sister? These parts seem very dreamlike, but somehow they touch reality. The passage opens in a statement So concrete and understandable because we're in a culture that's very driven by time and events. We center ourselves around those things, just like today is daylight savings time. And somehow you all still managed to get here. It says, now about eight days after these sayings. After these sayings. What was said eight days ago that it was so important that we can mark time by it. About eight days before Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, Jesus specifically asks the disciples about his identity. He asks, who do the crowds say I am? And the disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say one of the ancient prophets. But then very pointedly, Jesus asks, but who do you say that I am. And what follows is the first confession of Jesus as the Messiah in Luke's gospel. Peter actually says out loud that he thinks Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah of God, the Savior, the Anointed One of God. And that confession is so momentous in Luke's gospel because it's someone actually saying out loud that they know who Jesus is. 
It's momentous enough to mark time by. Peter, John, and James would have been so steeped in the learning of the Old Testament, knowing that the mountainside is the place where God revealed God's self to Moses in the burning bush. Were they trembling with every step up the mountain? If Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah of God, what was he thinking when they made that hike? And then it seems that they make it to the top of the mountain and the surreal faces them, this dreamlike event that reveals not only Jesus' identity for them, but their own identity. The transfiguration smashes together. Peter's very near reality, his eight-day-old confession, with the life of ancient prophets who've been confessing Jesus as Messiah before history knew such a name as Jesus. Roar and marvelous encounters, or in English we say wondrous, <laughs> wondrous encounters. In Spanish it's encuentros maravillosos, so I'm going to mess that up. <laughs> he asks some pivotal questions in his prayer at the end of the devotion for today, and I don't know if you've read it, but it says, he asks, Jesus, are such experiences just about you, or are they also about us? Do you want us to think higher of you or higher of ourselves because of you? Why do you take us on such journeys at all? We all go through identity crises. I say crises because I'm not yet 30 and I'm certain that I've had multiple identity crises. Most of us experience our first choke with identity when we go through puberty. And I'm pretty sure all of us remember puberty. In sixth grade, I remember I begged my Nana for this um, Tommy Hilfiger jacket. It was gray and semi-casual, rather understated. But the most important part of it was that it had this little Tommy Hilfiger logo, the brand, on it right here on the front left lapel. And I wore that jacket almost every single day to school. I wanted so badly to fit in. It didn't matter what I wore underneath it as long as I had my little brand logo on it. And the questions of identity don't stop. What kind of a pastor am I? What kind of wife? If I get to be a mother, what kind of mother will I be? What kind of daughter have I been? Have I been a good sister? Paul, in both of his letters to the Corinthians, writes continually of God being apocalypsed which is just a fancy word to mean revealed. He connects God's apocalypse, God's revelation, to our own revelation. He says, the more that God's identity is revealed, the more our own identity is revealed. And the two are woven together. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Paul writes, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And that is the root of our identity crises. Can I be seen face to face and fully loved? Can I be known as I am? Can I know someone fully, be fully known and be fully loved? Or do I have to keep wearing this stupid Tommy Hilfiger coat? Peter literally watches Jesus' face change, which in Old Testament culture 
The face is the mirror of one's relationship with God. It's the gateway to identity. Then Peter sees Jesus' clothes become dazzling white, sign of his status. They're that bright. Then Jesus, Peter, were discussing just a little over a week ago. These same two witnesses appear and are talking and walking with Jesus. And Peter might have said, we were just talking about you, actually. Jesus asked who the crowds think he is, and somebody said Elijah, and another said an ancient prophet. And then here they are, Moses, who heard straight from the I am and the burning bush that he would lead the Israelites out from the oppression of Pharaoh. Elijah, who witnessed God come so close, he heard the Lord's whisper and was moved to rearrange the entire kingdom on behalf of the least within it. But I don't blame Peter for having what seems like a brief identity crisis, a lapse in judgment, or a desire to stay up there on the mountain with God. These encounters with God that the predecessors before him had reworked all that they knew of the world around them, of themselves and who they were in relationship to those around them. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul pushes us further and says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God's unveiling is tied to our unveiling. The Lord's transformation will be our own transformation. The Lord's transformation will be our own transformation. So when Peter get a glimpse at the Lord with an unveiled face, Peter gets a glimpse at his own potential glory, and he reels back, afraid of what he sees, like Moses at the burning bush who turns his head away, knowing he can't look God in the face, like Elijah who wraps his face in a mantle before he goes out to hear the whisper of the Lord. He reels back, and I know at least I reel back too. There's a poem by Marianne Williamson that captures what we often feel when faced with such glory. It says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So much of our brokenness in our world 
stems out of not knowing who we are. It springs forth out of uncertainty of our own identity as it's revealed in the glory of God. Instead, we try to tie our identities to power, to money, to perceived accomplishments, to excellence, to these half-goods, as Roar calls them, to status, to the size of our houses, or to the beauty of our neighborhood. Our identities are wrapped up in the successes or failures of our children, our degrees, the universities we attended, the types of people we associate with, or the cars we drive. And instead of letting our identity in Christ stand alone as Jesus did when the cloud was lifted, we grasp at ways to define ourselves and cover our insecurities. But the root of not knowing who we are lies in not knowing who Jesus is, lies in not knowing who God is for us, Peter was able to confess Jesus as the Messiah, but it seems it didn't stick for long. And such as it is for us, we need to be told again and again, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Even after we've confessed it for ourselves, maybe even declared it for our lives. Our humanity needs to be overcome with knowledge of who God is. We need to be enveloped in the cloud, overwhelmed with amazement, even terrified. Because we tend to fall asleep, we speak without knowing what we're saying, and we forget what we said just a mere eight days ago. In knowing who God is, we know who we are and what we're called to as disciples That's why it matters when Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say I am? And then reveals to to them who he truly is. As Jesus reveals himself, as Jesus is unveiled in the transformation, the transfiguration, we too are being unveiled. We are being transformed into his image. Moses was present in Jesus' transfiguration because he reveals the liberating nature of God. He pushes us to be liberators of those who are oppressed, although we, like Moses, may not believe that we can be such people. Letting go of our struggles for power to identify who we are, we're being transformed into the ones who, as the prophet Isaiah says, will bring forth justice to the nations. Letting go of our struggle for money to identify who we are. We're being transformed into those who will bless the poor by making a new kingdom centered around them. And letting go of our desire to be perfect. Do we actually believe that we will find real strength in Christ? If we release ourselves from these expectations... Will we be the first captive set free? The end of Marianne Williamson poem says, As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That means that we are not only tied to God's transformation, but we are tied to one another's transformation. Our personal liberation is tied up in the systems of justice 
and in the systems of liberation around us. So as we ourselves are freed, so we free others. As we ourselves come to know this transformed God and our transformed self, so we can transform the lives around us. May God give us eyes to see. May God move our feet towards transformation. Amen.